All right. Well, like I said, we're going to do 2 Corinthians. I'm going to start with the advertisement. I think I talked about these before. This is kind of a cool notebook. And it's just the book of 2 Corinthians. And it has the scripture on the left and it has blank space on the right with real faint lines. And this was given to me by my buddy Andy Grease. We were in a Bible study and he gave these out to everybody. And he said, we're going to do a chapter a week and you have to show up with a picture. And some people were better at it than others. And we would show up with some sort of very fine, elegant drawing. And it was a great way to go through the Bible. And, and I didn't have to worry about marking up my own Bible. I didn't have to worry about, you know, is going to bleed through because this is like really thick, fancy paper or whatnot. And you can get these online or at the vineyard or wherever. And they're not, they're not terribly expensive, but they're really cool notebooks. So advertisement is over. There you go. I got no affiliate, link, affiliate links for you or any of that. All right. So we got to talk about Corinth. Corinth was quite the city. I have not been there. I would kind of like to go there. Corinth in about 150 BC was completely destroyed by the Romans. They just wiped that whole city out. Greeks, I guess. And they left it and it was just in ruins and nobody lived there and it was abandoned. So imagine a city. I mean, I know it's hard to imagine now because we've got like different building practices and different culture and we have cars and electricity and all that. But just imagine a city abandoned for like 50 to 70 years. And it's in beautiful country. It's on the coast. I mean, any one of you would love to go on vacation there and spend. It's just awesome. So then Rome is like, hey. What's up with this city, Corinth? It's sitting here empty. We need to populate it. We need to make it. Any, anytime Rome made a city, they made it like a mini Rome. And so they would build buildings that would make people think that they were in Rome. They'd build them the same way. They would establish the government and the structure, and they just send a whole bunch of people there. So how are you going to send a whole bunch of people to a city to populate it? Oh, what if they're all slaves? That's what we'll do. So Rome builds up this city and just trucks slaves in from all over the place, all over the world, all over the Roman kingdom. And they're like, hey, you're all free, but you got to live in Corinth. So start having jobs and stuff and, and you're not slaves anymore. So go for it. And so everybody's like, what? <laughs> and they start having a city and it's Roman and all these slaves are from all over the world and all these different cultures, but they've all been slaves to Romans. So they see how Romans act. And Rome said, all you Corinthian slaves act like Romans. So they all act like their slave masters acted and acted the way they wanted to act if they got free. And so what you get is this city that develops with everybody trying to be top. Everybody trying to work their way up the social scene and to show off and to be on the best. 
kind of sounds like everything we read in 1 Corinthians, right? It's really crazy. Um, just as an aside, there's a lot of, not to be totally weird, but there's spiritual issues with places and cities. And sometimes if you look into the history of an area or region, you'll see that the things that were historically there kind of continue to be there, almost like there's a spiritual shadow on that city or on that place. It's really, it's a wild thing to mix history of a place with the place and the spiritual history of a place. So Corinth is a whole bunch of people that were in slavery to Rome. They were set free, but they were still enslaved to the world and worldly thinking, even though they had their freedom. And so imagine a whole city of people that are, you know, flashing their gold watches or, you know, uh, oh, I need to check a call on my iPhone 27. You know, they're really showing off their riches and they're, and they're showing off their wealth. This is why you get into 1 Corinthians where they're all trying to show off at communion, at the communion meal. They're trying to get the best seat. They're trying to bring the finest food or they're showing up drunk to show that they're so rich that they could get drunk before they even make it to the communion meal. Right. They're like, Wow. So this is the environment of Corinth. A whole bunch of slaves, freed, working their way up, fighting. But this is how the devil works. The devil always rips you off in the way that he can laugh at you the most. If you were an aristocrat of Corinth, you would be so looked down upon by any aristocrat in Rome. Because good grief, you're in Corinth. You're like the king of the paupers. It's Corinth. Like you only live there because you were a slave. There's no other reason why you would live there. So in all of their trying to be noble and fancy and all of this nonsense, they're all just being fools because it's a slave town. So boo. Well, Paul goes there. He spends a year and a half there preaching and teaching. He spent a year and a half there speaking to people. Remember, they're from all over the Roman Empire. They, they are actually free to leave. So in time, they, the, after a couple of generations, it wasn't like they were enslaved and had to stay there. It was just that first group that had to stay there. But why would they want to leave, right? It's easy money. The, um, if you're the top dog of the hierarchy of the social scene, you could easily lose your spot and somebody else could take your place and be Mr. Popular. And so it's really easy to, to be that. There's a whole lot of people there. Um, you know, you might see in history books and different things, these colonnades that have just this long, long row of columns where they would have various shops. It's almost like a strip mall. Corinth had the biggest one in the world. So imagine the biggest, you know, uh, if you drive around the country, you'll see the whole Applebee's Cracker Barrel Target intersection. It, it happens in every city that's like over 60,000 people. There's a Walmart, there's Applebee's, there's O'Charlie's, there's a Cracker Barrel. There's one odd shop. Sometimes it's a Best Buy, sometimes it's a GameStop. You know, that thing. So they had the biggest one of those in the Roman world. 
and it just is this huge long row. And so everybody knew that and they were on a port. So a lot of people were coming and going from there all over the world. It was just a really good strategic spot for Paul to be in because people would come there to trade or to buy or to sell, you know, and then they would leave and go on to other places. Perfect, perfect spot for God to use. So there's a joke right in the first verse of 2 Corinthians. Oh, wait, I got to tell you one more thing. So 2 Corinthians is probably not 2 Corinthians. That's the other thing. It's probably 3rd or 4th Corinthians. The historians, from the stuff that he talks about in here and cross-referencing it with Acts and other letters, Paul probably wrote other letters to Corinth that we don't have anymore. And sometimes parts of them have come up and then different people, you know, historians and theologians discuss, should this be a part of it, should it not? And then always, it doesn't make it into the canon. So a whole bunch of stuff has happened between, 1 Corinthians really is 1 Corinthians. There might be a 2 Corinthians, there might be a 3 Corinthians. What we're reading here, a whole bunch of stuff has gone on in that time frame. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Okay, so Achaia. If, um, oh man, I don't know my border towns. If Corinth is the rich, industrious, wonderful city in Texas, Achaia is the really poor town in Mexico across the border. Does that make sense? If you have a city, uh, this, okay, I can go with what I do know, Terre Haute and West Terre Haute. <laughs> when I went to college in Terre Haute, the big joke was all the people that lived in West Terre Haute. They were like hillbillies. They were poor. They didn't know nothing, right? Nobody liked them. It was terrible looking back on it. So Corinth is the city, and whoa, anybody can get rich, and you can do all this. And Achaia is the surrounding area, and it's really poor, and those people are really dumb, and they just aren't part of us. Fine, Corinthians. So when Paul says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, and all the saints that are in Achaia, that is like, whoa, hold on. You surely don't mean we are saints just like them. I mean, they're from Achaia, right? It's really fun. This sets the stage, you guys. Paul is going to talk through this whole thing against status, against you being better than somebody else. He's going to talk a whole lot about we are all in this together. The other joke is that he calls them all saints. And you guys, if you read 1 Corinthians, you know they aren't all saints. There's some dirt bags in that congregation. And with all that dirt bagginess, Paul doesn't say, with all the saints, except for Larry, blah, blah, blah. Right? He says, no, you're all saints. You're all saints. You Corinthians, you're saints. You Achaeans, you're saints. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. Wow. Grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think just that right there, there's so many people. I mean, I, I come across them at our farm stands. Sometimes I talk to them in other places. There are people that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead. And they are also living and walking in condemnation because they think they're not good enough. And the good news is they're right. They aren't good enough. And that's why Jesus had to come as the Son of God and die on the cross for their sins and rise from the dead. And now they have been made a saint. No matter how much of a dirtbag they feel like. You were not saved. Praise God, I was not saved because of my feelings. But that I'm saved by my faith. When I got saved, I got saved in a dorm room in college. And afterwards, I would go to all these Christian events and they'd have the altar call out front, down front. And I would worry and I would think, yeah, I got saved in a dorm room with this dude that had long hair. He was Baptist, like a long haired Baptist. That doesn't fit. Did I really get saved? Did I do it right? Did I say the right words? And this is a problem for probably two years. And it, I, I, I got saved from that when I had a guy explain to me what it means to get saved. And it's straight out of Romans. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever believes that Jesus was the Son of God, came in the flesh, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and will come again, you are saved. I was like, Wow, it's that simple. It really is. So grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace because if you're saved, you're saved. It is a done deal. Who, who sealed Noah in the ark? Does it say, and so Noah worked really hard to get that door shut? It doesn't. It doesn't say that. It says, so Noah and his family got in the ark and God sealed them in. God is the one who closed the door on the ark. God is the one that saved you. He did it. So grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so there's a cool way to read the Bible. It's called inductive Bible study. It will mess up your Bible and wreck you forever, but it's okay. So you don't do it with your family heirloom. You don't do it with that Bible. But you basically pick a word. Sometimes you'll have a study Bible that'll tell you the word. And every time you see the word, you like color it blue. Like every time you see the Holy Spirit mentioned in the book of Acts, you color that verse blue. Every time you see God uh, mention glory in the gospel of Luke, you color it gold. You put gold. And then all of a sudden you're like, I had no idea. They talk so much about God's glory in the gospel of Luke. And so you... Highlight every mention of glory in yellow. So in 2 Corinthians 1, if you had an inductive Bible study, it would talk about the word comfort. And this word comfort is going to come up. And the word comfort that he uses is um, parakleotos or parakletus or para. Basically, it's para and cleat. 
And you've heard the word paraclete before when Jesus says, I will send a comforter to you. And all kinds of people have trouble translating that. When Jesus says, I will send a paraclete to you, I will send a comforter to you, that it's not just comfort. It's, it's comfort and it's with you and it's building up and it's going alongside. I got to be the, the chaplain to the boat races, the, the little tiny boat races down the Ohio River a couple years ago. And so I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I know how to pray and I know how to be a Christian, but I didn't know how to be a chaplain to boat race guys. And uh, these guys, they were like, hey, you know, they, you know, they had a couple races and I'm standing there on the shore and I'm just praying, God bless this race, keep these guys safe. And this one wife, maybe one of the wives of the race, she's like, well, you know, other chaplains get down in the water and they hold their hand while their boat is being unloaded and they pray for them. I said, I can do that? She said, you can go wherever you want. You're the chaplain. Dude, it was on. So they're back in this boat down the thing, and I'm just like, okay. I just walk right down in the water, and the dude puts his hand out of the cockpit of the boat, and I take his hand, and he's got his name written on the side of his boat, which is really helpful. I'm like, Lord bless Zach. I pray that he would have a great race. I pray that you would be safe. Pray that you would bless this whole thing, that you would just feel your presence and enjoy your joy and your love for him. In Jesus' name, amen. He'd be like, thank you, pastor. Fired up. And it just went to a hold. I was soaking wet. I stunk like the Ohio River, you guys. It was nasty. But I was in the water next to these race boats holding the driver's hands, praying for them. And the whole, and you know, they were, and then... I hear from another guy, man, you just got right down in the water with us. Nobody's ever done that before. I'm like, she said everybody did that. So anyway, <laughs> I don't know what all, what the miscommunication was. Those guys were comforted one way when I was standing on the shore. Oh, Lord, bless this race. There was another level when I, I was hand in hand in the water with them comforting them and that's what parakaleo is parakaleo is is going side by side comforting it is hand in hand it's we're going to smell the same when we get out of this comfort okay jesus said he would send a comforter i would send the holy spirit the holy spirit is going to be such a comforter to He's not going to be, oh, there, there, and pat you on the back and move on. He's going to be right in there with you in it. Then there's this whole other thing that goes with this word that means victory and hope and success. So I can have comfort and honestly, I mean, as in me and all my worldly powers, I can only comfort you with a hope, Right? I can only, you know, I really hope you win this video game, Levi. I'm not going to be able to help you win it. You're on your own, right? But this paracleo is a hope of comfort that I'm going to take care of this and we are going to win. And it's going to be awesome. Like, I have the fastest fingers of anybody. <laughs> or whatever, right? We're going to make it. All right, so all that... 
is packed into Jesus saying, I will send a paraclete to you, someone who will be with you to comfort you, and you will have victory and you will win. And it's also in this word comfort that I'm about to read about a dozen times. So listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Wow. All right. So let's go back through that. It is funny how much he mentions comfort. These guys are in a bad spot. Corinth is an absolute mess. Christians are looked down upon. They are being persecuted. Paul has been looked down upon and been persecuted in all of his travels since then. And this is the same guy that would write Romans 8.28, that God works all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so when he talks about our afflictions, whatever affliction we have, we know that God works all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we know that God can use our affliction to work a good thing. He can make a really good thing come out of our affliction. It's so perfect. We had communion today. Paul is also talking, we are the body of Christ. And so everything that God does in me, God does not do in me alone. If we are the body of Christ, the things that I go through, y'all get to share in good or bad, right? Isn't that part of the Christian life? Is that we share, we bear one, I mean, Galatians chapter five, we bear one another's burdens. So to fulfill the law of Christ, we fulfill Christ's law when we bear one another's burdens. Gosh, that comes in so many forms, doesn't it? Doesn't helping each other out come in so many forms, bearing one another's burdens? I, I was um, sick one day and really all I could do was just lay in bed and not move. But otherwise I was fine. I'm fine, really. I just can't move. And uh, I sent out a Facebook thing and I said, hey, tell me how to pray for you. Because I'm laying here bored out of my mind in my bed with COVID. And I can just sit here and pray. I got like eight, maybe six or eight text messages of really personal, heartfelt things from people that I don't usually have conversations with. I mean, we're distant friends or whatever. But I had people pouring out their hearts and all of a sudden I am bearing their burden. 
with them. And I can and I, I could do that. I, I could in prayer carry this burden. And do you know what happens? Like I'm over COVID, I'm better, I'm all good. Do you think I put down their burdens? No. I'm still when I have some time to pray, I'm driving in the car out here. I'm like, oh man, you know what? I haven't prayed for so-and-so today. I'm gonna pray for him and his kids. And his wife is doing this extra thing. I'm going to pray for them. And so all of a sudden I get to bear their burdens for a long time. But at some point they're going to text me and they're going to be like, guess what happened? This, this. And now what? I get to share in their joys with them. Wow. So God comforts us in all of our affliction. So we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So maybe this has happened to you. Something awful happens and somebody comes and they say the wrong, stupid thing. And you were like, get out of my face. You're such an idiot. Don't say that to me. I'm mad. This bad thing happened to me and you don't know nothing. Right? And that's just bad too. Come on. That's your flesh. Be humble. But when something bad happens and somebody comes in and you know their story and you're like, okay, that's the person I want to pray for me in this. And they say, I am so sorry this happened to you. And you're like, you're the one that I needed to say, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Because you, dude, what are you even doing here? Like, wow. Our, what if, what if our afflictions came to us, not saying God gives them. Job, there are places in the Bible where God gives afflictions. Sometimes the devil gives afflictions. Sometimes we bring afflictions on ourselves by our own flesh. But what if every affliction God turned into a gift for somebody else that's a Christian? What if every bad thing that, what if waiting 15 minutes to get my ice cream at Chick-fil-A is my affliction and that happens to me so that I can minister to Steve who had to wait 12 minutes for his ice cream at Chick-fil-A. Brother, I know your pain. I make that joke, but what if, like what if it, when I'm in the middle of something awful, I'm like, Lord, I want to pay attention to this. I want to know what you're going to work in me through this because I know that you will use this to help me serve one of my brothers or sisters in the future. You will not waste this. God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I had this pastor one time and he had so much scripture memorized. And I was like, gosh, how in the world do you memorize so much scripture? And one day I just asked him, I said, Pastor Chuck, how have you memorized so much scripture? And he says, I memorize scripture best when I go through hard times. And so most of the scripture that I have memorized is just from various hard times I went through. That was the scripture God comforted me with. (laughs) And I was like, Dude's been through hard times because he's got a lot of scripture memorized. And that was true. 
that was actually, we talked it through more. We share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. There's another thing that's going to come up a whole bunch through this whole book, that whatever happens to other people in the church happens to us. And whatever happens to Jesus happens to us. And so as Christ went through bad things and suffering, we can see that our suffering isn't that different than the suffering that he went through. Was he rejected and mocked by his family members? Or are we rejected and mocked by our family members? Jesus was too. Did he go into a city and say things and nobody even listened to him? Do we have times where we think nobody's even listening to me? Nobody even cares about what I'm saying or doing. Jesus had the same thing happen to him. And we will share with him in his sufferings and we will share with him in his glory. He rose from the dead. We will be raised from the dead. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort. We all experience, let's see, uh, verse eight. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort. What if all the things that happen to us is the Lord constantly preparing us to serve others? Dan, you just did this thing and you learned how to do that and you better pay attention because I need you to teach it to somebody else. This Bible verse was very comforting to me. When this happened to me, I'm going to keep my eyes open. We had this lady, lady of the church that we went to, and she had, I don't know, she had a bunch of miscarriages. So many miscarriages. And it was just heartbreaking. She was the, she gave out her number all the time. She was the person to call. And she told people, if you hear of a young family that has a miscarriage, tell them to call me right away. And that was her ministry. And she was awesome. And that was what she did. She had, she had had so many. And she just wanted to use all of that to the glory of God to minister to one young lady after another that had been through that. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Think about the times that you grew the most spiritually, where you had a moment where you were like, man, I was so close to God. It's probably some suffering. It's probably a hard time where you were desperate and you needed God to be close to you. So here we are, and we want to help people grow spiritually, and what do we do? We make sure nothing bad ever happens to them. Oh, I'm going to protect you. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to save you from this problem. I'm going to save you from this problem. I'm going to keep you from this trouble. And so what does that do? It makes them never have a deep experience of the Lord. Gosh. Our hope is unshakable for we know that as you share in our sufferings, we will also share in our comfort. Paul's goal was not to get the Corinthians out of their suffering or to tell them their suffering didn't matter or to tell them that their suffering came upon them because they did this sinful thing or they had unconfessed sin in their life. He doesn't say any of that. He says, God is going to comfort you and with the comfort that he comforts you, he is also empowering you to comfort others. 
And he will send people into your path to comfort. He doesn't give you a a baseball and a mitt and a baseball bat and not put you on a team. He will bring people into your life to serve and to minister to and to talk to and to help. You guys, this is going to be hopeless. I'm going to stop now. (laughs) We made it halfway through one chapter. Maybe we'll spend the next year in 2 Corinthians. (laughs) Be comforted. (laughs) John Piper took 18 years to get through Romans. So I think I can take my time through 2 Corinthians. Um, but we, we will, I will stop there and we'll pick up next week. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are our comfort and that you comfort us not with a cookie or a bunch of cash or a pat on the back, but that, Lord, you send your Holy Spirit into our life, into our very bodies And that you comfort us from within, regardless of our circumstances. Lord, we need that. We need you to do that. And I pray that you would do that this week, that you would help us in so many ways, that you would help us to see how you are comforting us, and that you would give us outlets to comfort others with that hope building. uh, We're all going to smell the same because we're all in this together kind of comfort and hope. We thank you, we exalt you, and we praise you, Lord. Amen. All right.